Hallelujah. Glory to his name. He's worthy. He is worthy of glory and honor in this place, Lord. We bless your name and we honor you, Lord God. You are worthy of all praise, God, all dominion, all power, my God. To you, Lord. We thank you, God, in this place. We thank you, God, in this place. Oh, thank you, Lord. There's freedom in your name, God. There's deliverance in your name, God. Hallelujah. Come on, let us declare together our memory verse, which would speak to this moment right here. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Hallelujah, God. For freedom, he set us free, church. Give him praise in this place. He is worthy. He is worthy of all glory and honor. Hallelujah, Jesus. Open your Bibles with me, if you would, to the book of Galatians. And we are still in chapter 5. And we'll begin reading in verse 16. Galatians chapter 5, and we'll begin reading in verse 16. When you got it, say so. It says there, it says, I say then, walk in the spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish, but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. My God, we thank you for your word. That is truth, my God. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love and your kindness, God. And Father, we humble ourselves before you today, Lord God, asking you, Holy Spirit, to speak to our hearts, my God. Asking you, my God, to speak to our lives, Lord God, to give us ears to hear what you are saying to your church. And God, not just ears to hear it, but God, faith and hearts to live out the truths that we'll learn today, my God. I pray that our hearts would be changed, that our hearts would be challenged. And Father God, above all things, that the name of Jesus would be lifted high, my God. Your people would be edified, Lord God, and I pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Someone said, Amen. you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you do not have an outline, raise your hand and the ushers will get you an outline before we begin. The book, the book of Galatians is where we have been. We've been dealing with this series, Liberated for Life. If you don't have an outline, raise your hand so he, the um, ushers can get you one. Just keep it up for a moment. We utilize these outlines in our discussion for Connect. Um, even if you are not in a connect group, we encourage you to take notes. We encourage you to follow along with the sermon. And if you are not in a connect group, we highly encourage you to get connected. Amen. We encourage you to get connected in community and relationship. Um, sanctification, salvation is, you know, individual, but sanctification is something that happens collectively. And we do this together. We grow in the grace and the knowledge of who Jesus is. And so it is important for us that we don't just hear the word of God on Sundays, but that we get together in community with other brothers and sisters that we can share what we've been hearing and what God has been dealing with us. And so folks can pray for us. People can keep us accountable and they can help us to grow in the grace and the knowledge of who Jesus is. Amen? Amen? So everybody has an outline here so you can follow along with me a little bit. I want to do a recap of the last time that I spoke because we started here in the book of Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16 and we went down up to verse 18. But the, when we were looking at those particular verses, we learned that we get to decide by which inspiration we will live. Amen? We get to decide that. The scripture here says clearly, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And so we know that the spirit of God inspires us, but we also know that the flesh is inspirational as well. If your flesh was not inspirational, you would not struggle with sin. Amen? 
And so we're tempted because we're inspired. And so while God has delivered us by the power of the cross from sin, God also lets us know clearly through the Apostle Paul that we're going to struggle with this sin that's going to try to rise up and bring to our minds and bring to our hearts these things. He goes on and says, for the flesh lust against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. And so we learn that that phrase there, so you do not do the things that you wish, that in order for you and I to live out our faith, in order for us to live out this gospel the way that God has called us to, it is not something that we are simply going to will to do. It's not something that you're just going to simply say, well, you know what? I want to be good. I want to be righteous. I want to do what God wants me to do. Paul is saying that you cannot do that. It's not just something that you want to do. It is something that must be empowered by the grace of God in our lives. And he says in verse 18, he says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And so if we are being led by the Spirit, not by the cravings of our flesh, we are no longer under the condemnation of the law. In other words, we don't need to fear being, um, be, being chastised in an eternal sense. What we need to do is rejoice because we have been delivered from the power of sin. But also, we are not under the law as a tutor. If you remember earlier in the book of Galatians, it said that the law was a tutor to do what? To bring us to Christ. And so what the law does always, and we shared this in our connect group, what the law always does is the law always, always, always brings us where? Back to Jesus. That's what it's supposed to do. It will either lead us to Jesus or it will lead us to legalism. One of the two. It will lead us to feeling prideful about ourselves because we're so great or it will lead us to feeling condemned because we realize that we cannot live up to the standards of God. But what we need to do is rejoice because what? If we're led by the Spirit, then we are no longer under the law. And so we learn that we get to decide by which inspiration we will live. We cannot deny that there is a battle going on within us. And as believers, we must choose to depend upon the spirit of grace to reject our fleshy desires. We can't do it on our own. So we depend on the spirit of grace that has empowered us and filled us. And if you're born again, then the spirit of God lives in you. If you're not born again, if you have not come to faith in Jesus, then there's a problem. And that problem is that you don't have the power to continually say no to sin and say yes to Jesus. I want you to look at this word grace because I don't know if I've defined it. I don't think that I've actually defined the word grace throughout our teaching here in this, in, in, in this book. But we have talked about grace and you've heard that word over and over and over again. And so what I want to do is I want us to look at this because grace simply means God's unmerited favor. In other words, it means getting what we don't deserve, right? And so that's what grace means. But it also means something else. It means the divine influence upon the heart. It's God's divine influence upon our lives. And so I actually put the actual definition of the word Gaudis there so you would have it. And what this word means, and we'll look at this together, it means grace. It means that which affords joy, pleasure, delight, sweetness, charm, loveliness, grace of speech. It means goodwill. It means loving kindness. It means favor. I want you to focus on this part. It means of the merciful kindness by which God, exerting his holy influence, remember I just said it means divine influence upon the heart, it is God exerting his holy influence upon souls, turning them to Christ, keeps, strengthens, increases them in Christian faith, knowledge, affection, and kindles them to act to the exercise of the Christian virtues. Now, if we can stay there for a moment in that definition, what we understand is that grace should change our hearts. Grace should change our life. It is by grace that we are what? Saved. It is by grace that we came to God. It is because his influence upon our lives turned us from our sin to our Savior. Made us realize that we were sinners that were separated from him. Amen? And so it was grace that did that. It wasn't because you just woke up one day and realized you needed God. No, somebody turned that switch on. You know what that somebody was? That was God Almighty. Turned that switch on inside of our heart and helped us to come to the realization that we need God. So when we pray, just think about this for a moment. When you pray for those loved ones, those neighbors, those family members, those co-workers that don't know Jesus, what should we be praying for them? The first thing we should be praying for them is not for them to be holy, not for them to stop cursing, not for them to stop acting like that, A, B, C, and D, whatever it is. But the first thing that we should be praying is that God would flip the switch on in their heart to help them to understand. Understand they need him. 
We should be praying that because what happens is it is his divine influence upon our heart that turns us to Jesus. But look at the rest of the definition. It doesn't just say that grace brings us to Jesus. It says that grace keeps us. It says that grace inspires us to live out the holy commands of God. And so grace should, and this is the last paragraph in your outline before you start writing notes on your own. Grace should clearly change our heart's desire and our overall lives should reflect this change. No longer do we belong to ourselves, but we belong to Jesus. And that is the title of our message this morning. To whom do you belong? This is the most important question for us because the reality is the fruit of our lives bears witness as to whom we truly belong. We can say that we belong to whoever we want, but the fruit of our life will tell us that. If we really belong to Jesus, our life is going to bear fruit that brings glory to him. If we do not belong to Jesus, then our life is going to bear something else which declares to us that we do not belong to him. And so we'll look at what Paul says here. Look in verse 19 to verse 21. He says here, he says, now the works of the flesh are evident. Which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness. Lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so as I said earlier when we were dealing with this, Paul goes from the first couple of chapters dealing with this theology and the understanding of what grace is and the understanding of how we've been set free by grace. He gives all of these things to show us some pictures, but then he comes down to the practical application of grace. And what he wants to make clear is that he is in no way, shape, or form giving anyone a pass to say, you know what, I'm saved by grace, I can live how I want to live. That's not what Paul is doing. What he is saying, because if you would have read the first three chapters, you might have thought, or the first four chapters, you might have thought, well, man, maybe Paul is giving someone a pass, that they can kind of live how they want to live because they're no longer under the law. They're no longer, you know, having to live according to these standards. And it was funny because um, on, on, uh, on Saturday, yesterday, we were sitting at breakfast, and my daughter asked us a question, and we were getting ready to do our family devotional. And I thank God because he just led the devotional, and it was awesome for me. My wife, like, stopped us in the middle of it, and she's like, can we just pray right now because this is just awesome. And I was like, well, Glory to God, sister, go on ahead and pray. And so we're sitting at the table, and my daughter's like, you know, Daddy, let me ask you something. Who were the Ten Commandments written to? And I was like, oh, that's a, kind of a weird question. And then she's like, and I said, well, why are you asking that? And she's like, well, because I was in my history class, and one of the girls in my history class, she said that her youth pastor told them that they no longer, that those laws were written to the Israelites, therefore, they were no longer binding upon us. And so I said, well... I thought about it. I said, well, let me ask you. I said, well, well here's the thing. I said, because I, I, I don't want to discredit, because let me say this. I have been misquoted many times. Amen? Okay? Someone is sitting down there, and they heard something that I didn't even say. One time, I literally, this is no joke, I literally got an email that was like three paragraphs long. Of, someone was telling me what they got out of the message, and I was like, I have no clue how you got that out of the message, because if I take my notes and put it next to what you just wrote me, I didn't say any of that, but glory to God, they were edified, right? But it, so they didn't say anything bad, but the point of the matter is, people hear stuff, right? Because, you know, y'all act like you don't, but, you know, some of y'all just like daydream. You'll be like zooming off for a moment, and then I'll yell or something and get you back, but, you know, so ultimately um, what, what, what happens to us is we is our minds begin to wander and so I didn't want to just discredit this youth pastor and be like yo he's a heathen he's going to hell I want you to know this if someone says that to you and that is what they're saying they are 100% wrong what I said to my daughter was I said well I said here's the thing I said he's he's in a, in a part he's right in, in part of what he's saying and I said but let's look at our Bible and so we looked at our, we looked at the Bible and I said well, let's go through the Ten Commandments I said here's what you have to do I said you have to understand that the commandments of God in the Old testament that are written to the children of israel they are broken down into three areas and so we have the moral law of god which is the ten commandments which are pretty clear and then you have the sacrificial system law right the ceremonial laws of god that are written down for the levites and what kind of sacrifice you bring to god and so on and so forth and then you move on and you have the societal or the social laws of god that are there to govern them as a nation and so i said baby what we have to do is we have to take every one of god's laws through the cross 
And I said, and when you take every one of God's laws to the cross, you will know if it applies to you on the other side. I said, that's all you have to do. It's not about who you are. So we went through the Ten Commandments, and we got over here. We understood all of them applied to us. And then I said, but let me ask you this one. I said, do we have to apply the ceremonial laws? And, I, and she was like, no. And I was like, why? And she said, well, because Jesus was that sacrifice. I'm like, glory to God. She's amazing. And so anyway, but that's just the right answer, right? So after the next one, I said, okay, that's good. We explained that. And I said, what about the, you know, the, the societal, the social laws? And she's like, no, because Jesus was a sacrifice. I said, yeah. I said, but it's bigger than that. I said, it's because we are not Israelites. Because we are not Jewish people, right, in this, in, in this day and time. We are called. Now listen to what I'm going to say. And Paul is going to make this. He just made this clear for us. We are supposed to be socially pure. Are you hearing me? We are, we are supposed to remain untainted by this world and by this world system. Our minds should not be more leaning toward the way the world thinks. Our minds should be leaning more toward the way our God thinks. Amen? It doesn't mean that I got to go to the Old Testament and try to figure out how I need to live based on the Old Testament laws. All I have to do is read the New Testament laws and see that the same God who inspired the Old Testament is the same God who inspired the New. And guess what? He calls me to the same standard of living holy. That's why 1 Peter, when Peter is speaking, he says what to the people of God? He tells them, be holy as I am holy. Now, where is he quoting that from? He's quoting that scripture from the book of Leviticus. And who was God speaking to specifically in the book of Leviticus? This is an easy one, right? The Levites. He was speaking to the people who were supposed to be offering these sacrifices unto God. So that's where we get our ceremonial laws, like the first seven chapters, is, or, or I think three or four chapters there. They're all about what? They're how to make sacrifice in the book of Leviticus. And so a lot of times we look at that, and what happens is we see that the clergy or the preachers and pastors are supposed to be holy, but sometimes folks think, well, I'm sitting down and I don't have to be holy. Time out. That's not true. Because we have all been brought into this thing called the priesthood of believers, meaning that you are called to be just as holy as I am. Hello. We see a lot of times what we do is we hold our pastors or our leaders to a higher standard like, oh, you can't do that, but I can. The devil's a liar. You can't do it either. I'm just saying. I'm, you, 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 I don't need to be more holy than you. Oh, yeah, but you're my bishop. It does not matter. Hello. You are called to be holy because you are going to stand before God. Now, mind you, I'm going to be judged in ways that you're not because I'm a teacher of the word of God. But that's a different scenario. That has nothing to do with holiness. That has to do with accuracy and teaching and preaching the word of God. There's a difference there. And so what happens is God calls us to be holy. And in that social sense, we are supposed to be holy and live these righteous standards that God has called us to. And so the first thing I ask you to repeat this after me, say, we cannot, we cannot. deny the origin or the consequences of our actions. And so as I said earlier, when we look at these scriptures here, the Apostle Paul has already made clear to us that there is a battle going on inside of us. It is the flesh and the spirit. And he's saying these two are contrary one to the other. And so he's telling us there's a battle going on. And so what he lets us know in this verse 19, he says, now the works of the flesh, say works of the flesh. He's letting us know where these things come from. They come from our flesh. They don't come from God. They don't come from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit isn't inspiring any of these things. What is inspiring these things are our carnal cravings and desires that are still resident within us that should not have dominion over us because what happens is God liberates us from those powers of sin. He doesn't eradicate that sin from our lives. Are you here? And so what we do is we understand that God wants us to understand that it is not, there's no question as to where these, these, these desires come from. I want you to notice quickly the word works. It says the evil works of the flesh. That word work is not a passive word, but that is a word that is active. Understand this. All sin is active. You decide you're going to sin, whether it is a sin of commission or a sin of omission. Sins of commission, things that you do that you shouldn't do. Sins of omission, the things that you omit to do or the things that you do not do that you're supposed to do. They are both equally active. You actively decide that you are going to work against God in whatever way you do, whether it's committing a sin or omitting obedience. Either way, it's active. And what Paul is saying, he says the works of the flesh are evident. And what we can't do is we cannot allow ourselves or anyone else who claims Christianity to believe that fleshly works are a non-factor in our relationship to God. 
We cannot allow that. Paul's message of grace is nowhere, shape, no way, shape, or form a license for us to say, hey, man, I can live how I want to live. I can do whatever I want to do. That is not what Paul is communicating. And so he says the works of the flesh are evident. In other words, you should know better. He's writing to the Galatians. What he's saying to them, he's saying, man, you, don't, you shouldn't need someone to come and slam you in the face with the laws of God. You shouldn't need someone to do that. Why? Because the grace of God should be operating in you. And not just that. I love what he says in the verse 21. He says what? He says, I warn you and I, as I did before. And so here, here's what I want you to understand. When Paul came preaching the gospel, he wasn't preaching some weak message to these people. He was confronting their sin. He was letting them know sin separates you from God. And apart Apart from repentance of sin, apart from turning from your sin to your Savior, there is no hope for you. And so you cannot continue to live this way, but Jesus died in order for you to have this grace, in order for you to have this salvation. But you can't just live how you want to live. You can't do these things. And so let's run through this list and just see what the Apostle Paul says. And there's a lot of stuff, and so I'm just going to read through these. I'm not going to try to pause on every one of them because if I do, we'll be here for three hours, and I want to respect your time. Amen? I got three amens, so nobody wants me to respect their time. Then we're just going to be here for three hours. I'll expound every single one of these, even though you should know what they are. Amen? amen. Don't say amen to that. I'm just kidding. I'm just joking. You're good. You're good. So here we go. The first one he says here, and, and, and it really depends on your translation. Um, some of your translation will say fornication, but the best word to describe this word is the word sexual immorality. It comes from the word porneia in the Greek, and what it means is this. It means illicit sexual intercourse. It means adultery, which adultery is sex outside of marriage. It means fornication, right? And, and fornication is different than adultery because what? Because fornication is me having sex before I am married. Hello? Are you hearing me? Okay, so adultery, fornication, homosexuality, you know what that is, right? Lesbianism, you know what that is. Intercourse with animals, you know what that is. That's called bestiality in the Old Testament, right? And you probably use that word depending if you use the King James Version. And you all think that's funny. Like, why is that even there? Well, it's there for a reason. God commanded people not to have sex with animals because people have sex with animals. I'm just saying. I think, I think I'm not going to quote who it was because I don't want to quote the wrong person. But somebody said that they, they, they work in a hospital and they actually saw someone who came to the hospital with a trench coat on. When they came to the hospital with a trench coat on, they were like, yo, what's going on with this person? And, and they had like this big bulge. And what it was is that they were with their dog. And they had to kill their dog because they couldn't get their dog off of them. And so they had to come to the hospital. So don't think that this doesn't happen. Hello, I'm just letting you know. This is something that occurs. God didn't put it in the word just to make you laugh and be like, that's disgusting. Listen, it happens, okay? So he says this is sexual immorality. It means sexual intercourse with close relatives. So this is personal action. Say personal action. Sexual immorality is personal action because these first three words, they tie in together. The next word is the word uncleanness or the word impurity. And this word, it, comes, it means uncleanness physically or morally. It means the impurity of lustful, luxurious, or profligate living. It means impure motives. And so the first one is, say, personal actions. The second one is motives. Say motives. So the reason he's given this is because it's not just about your actions, it's also about your motives, it's about what is going on. That's why Jesus says, you've heard that you, know, you shouldn't commit adultery, but I tell you that if a man looks at a woman lustfully, he has already committed adultery in his heart. Because Jesus is bringing it to the condition of the heart. The law didn't deal with the heart, the law only dealt with the actions. God wants to deal with the heart because I can sit there and try to correct my actions, but it's a lot easier when God, is con when, when God has taken control of my heart. Amen? And so God wants to deal with us that way. The next word is this. It is the word lewdness or sensuality. And this word means unbridled lust, excess, licentiousness, lasciviousness, wantonness, outrageousness, shamefulness, insolence. It refers to one who has an insolent contempt for public opinion and shamelessly outrages public decency. So the first one is what? Personal behavior. Say personal behavior. The second one is motives. Say motives. And the third one is public behavior. Say public behavior. And so we see this in our culture all over the place where there is this lewdness that takes place. You guys remember like a couple of months ago, and I, did, I didn't see the actual performance during the show, but somebody blogged about it. And so I went and looked it up on YouTube and I saw it, it was pretty. I would say that this would fall under the category of lewd. Y'all remember Miley Cyrus a little while ago? I think it was the MTV Awards or something like that. And Homegirl came out there. Now, here's the first thing you have to understand. Most of the women performers that are out there right now in the secular arena, they dress lewdly, period. Hello. 
That's just, that, that's just how it is. They just dress. So ladies don't follow their example. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Okay. So that's the first thing. But it wasn't just her dressing that was lewd. It was her behavior. When you watched her whole act and everything that she did, it was like you got to be, and I'm not going to use the word not to be disrespectful, but I mean, you got to be like a real, right? In order to be like good, like that's crazy. But that's the mindset that's there. What, what, what makes a person do something like that? You know, when you have Janet Jackson at the Super Bowl game, you know, a few years ago, and she allows this fool to lift up her shirt, there's children watching this. That's lewd behavior. You don't care about what people think about you, you know. And, and let me tell you something. While I'm talking about these non-Christian people and whatever they declare, I don't care. I'm just telling you, what the, what, when we're talking about those people, you have this issue with people in the church. They will dress scandalous. And act like it's okay because it's in style or because I live in Florida. Mm-hmm. It's in lewd behavior. He's talking about this sexuality in its full context. He's talking about your actions, your motives, and he's also talking about the way you are in public. Right? So you think about those things. Those are areas that we should be right in. He goes on to say the next one, which is idolatry. And that word, we all know it means the worship of false gods. But let me explain it to you like this. Because when we think of idolatry, we automatically think of some kind of idol. We automatically think of something that we're bowing down to. But here's the thing. Anything that comes before God in order of importance is an idol. And so that means that work can be an idol. Your car can be an idol. Your, girlf- your girlfriend, your boyfriend can be an idol. Your desire for a girlfriend or boyfriend can be an idol. Hello, somebody. Your husband, your wife can be an idol. Your children, your family can be an idol. Money can be an idol. There are so many things. Your physical fitness can be an idol. There are so many areas of things that can be your idol. Food, not physical fitness, the opposite. Gluttony can be your idol. Are you here? And so we have to understand this, that there, that there are these idols that come, and they come to try to steal our attention or steal our affection from our Lord, from our Savior. The next thing that he says here is the word sorcery. And this word sorcery, it comes from the word pharmakia, which is where we get our English word pharmacy. And it means the use or the administering of drugs. And so you know this is the, where you get the mindset of potions and things like that and roots and all this other kind of stuff that's going to make you better and all these type things. And I'm not talking about, I'm, you, you, know, you know what I'm talking about. I'm not get into all that here's the point the point is it is people who deal in witchcraft and the reason why he's saying that is because where where that word comes from is because whether we realize this or not when we decide that we are going to go out there and we're going to participate in these drugs and these alcohol i'm gonna let you know when you get to that place of being drunk you're opening yourself up to a spirit world and don't be blind because that's why they call these places spirits you know the bars and spirits and come and have some spirits i'm saying i'm gonna go drink some spirits amen i'm just i'm I'm just i'm just trying to keep it real right yes i'm going over here to abc to pick up some spirits i'm really really i i got enough issues with my flesh i want to add some spirits to that i'm, I'm just for real i'm a, come on i mean that don't that does not make any sense and christians just cool with that i'm, I'm going to abc liquor store to pick. okay all right whatever so anyway and yeah and, and, and i'm gonna say this for my you know for my friends in here it's not a sin to drink it's a sin to be drunk Glory to God. Okay. Right? I'm just saying, I'm whatever, you know, just, but, just, I'm, I'm going to say that. But here is, he's, he's, he's pointing out, saying sorcery, you know, trying to control, manipulate, dominate, those kind of things. Dealing with witchcraft, those mindsets, they're tied together. See, idolatry and sorcery, those things go together, right? Those things work together. And so then he goes on to deal with some real practical stuff. He says, hatred. And so this word can also be translated enmity. It is the opposite of love, okay? And that, that is what hatred is in this sense. It is the opposite of love. When you are not loving, when you are hateful, those types of things, that's, that's ungodly behavior. Contention or strife. That means discord, fightings, or wranglings. The word jealousy here, it's, it, it means excitement of mind, strong emotions that arise when others are experiencing good things. You're just jealous. I heard a quote that someone said. He said, you can share your failures with anyone, but you can only share your successes with real friends. Let that sink in for a moment. You could tell anyone, yo, man, I failed in this, and they're like, oh, I'll pray for you, brother. I got you. But go on and tell someone, yo, man, I got this new ride. They'll be like, mm, glory to God. 
No, man, I got blessed with this bonus check. Amen. 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 <laughs> Just hating on you, right? I'm saying, and that, that, that's what happened because the condition of people's heart is wrong. Like, li- listen, if you don't get happy when other people are blessed, you got some jealousy working up inside of you. you I know you don't want to admit that because you be trying to, like, play it off with a good little smile, half a smile, right? <laughs> be like, amen, praise God, sister. But when you walk away, how do you feel? Do you feel like you got gypped or something like that? Like, yo, God, where's mine? I'm just saying. I'm not going through this list because I just want to go through a list. I want you to think about, like, does this apply to me? Like, is this me? Like, am I a person who's, you know, doing these things? Am I a person who's participating in these areas or whatever? I mean, think about that for a moment. So he says jealousy, right? He says outbursts of wrath or fits of anger. That means passion, angry, heat, uncontrolled negative emotions. Is that you? Are you that person that's like that? He said selfish ambitions or the word also translated rivalries. And this literally means seeking position with wrong motives. It's someone who wants to be promoted so they can control, so they can change, so they can dominate, rather than so they can be part of the team. It's the wrong motives. The person who wants to have control of stuff, that's the wrong motive. Selfish ambitions. He goes on to say dissensions, which means divisions or, you know, these dissensions. And the next word, heresies, kind of goes together because it's also translated dissensions. But heresies means to choose and call others to choose a side. And so a person that has a dissension going on, they're just divisive. They could care less if you agree with them or not. They're just like that. They're just, they're just negative. They always got something that, is, that, that goes against whatever's going on. That they don't care if you agree with them or not. But then there's the other person. This person that these heresies, this, this heretic type person. This person's different. They want to present their case to you because they want you to agree with them. It's a difference, right? So one person, they just, you know, want to be divisive. You know, they're just like that. But then the other person wants to bring you to make these decisions. The next one is envy. Now, envy and jealousy sound kind of the same, right? But envy, they also tie in the word murders in some translations. It means feeling ill will towards someone. And so you're not just hating on someone. You want them to, like, suffer. You don't, you don't just feel bad that they got something. You're like, yo, they don't deserve that. Right? You, 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 want, you want them to experience. You know, you don't, you don't understand grace because you don't, you don't see it in your life. It's not because it's not there. You just don't see it. Did you hear me? And so you see the grace in someone else's life, and you're like, yo, man, that's amazing in their life. And you're like, man, but I know them. They're like this, 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 and this, and they don't deserve that. And so we begin to come to that place of envy, right? We come to that place where our heart should not be. And then he goes on to say drunkenness, which means intoxication. We dealt with that in the spirit, so get out of the spirits, amen? Um, and then the last one is he said revelries or orgies. And this comes from the word komos, which means excessive feasting. And so the, the way that this was played out was it was a nocturnal and riotous procession. So these people were loud and boisterous. It was of half-drunken and frolicsome men who, were, who after supper, they would parade through the streets with torches and music in honor of Bacchus, who was a god um, or some other deity, and sing and play before the houses of their male and female friends Hence, they use generally of this is used generally of feast and drinking parties that are protracted till late at night and indulge in revelry. And so that's where this whole word comes. This word revelry. So it's these big, you know, boisterous, you know, after parties, you know, type scenario where you're just being ungodly. You're being unholy. You're not doing anything to bring edification, right? And so that's what he says. But I love the last thing that he says in this. And he says, and the like. Because he doesn't just let you off the hook and say, well, you know, I'm not a fornicator and I'm not sexually immoral and I'm not lewd and I don't have hate and I don't have dissension and I'm not a heretic and I'm not this and I'm not that. And so you go through the checklist, you're like, Bishop, I'm none of those things, I'm good to go. But then he says, and the like. Because what he's saying is, he's saying this list is not supposed to be exhaustive, but representative of categories. And so we looked at the sexual category. We looked at the worship category. We looked at the relational category. And we looked at the social category. And here's what he's saying. You should be sexually pure. You should be worshipfully pure. You should be relationally pure. You should be socially pure. Not living in sin in these areas. And in all of these areas, what we must do is we must discern when we are giving into our flesh over following. Following the Spirit. We need to think about in the area of sexuality, am I doing something that doesn't glorify God? Am I doing something that doesn't honor Him, that is giving into my flesh? In the area of worship, am I dealing with idols in my life appropriately, which is repentance, turning from them, or am I trying to navigate around them, still keep them in my life? 
Am I, am, am, am I really depending on God in those areas that I should? In the areas of relationship, am I having that hatred? Am I having that jealousy? And in all of these other areas in my relationships, am I doing the things that God has called me to do? In the area of my social intercourse with people and me dealing with in life, am I walking in purity? And the reason why this is so important, and I love verse 21, he goes and he says, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So he tells him clearly, he says, look, I told you this before, and I'm reminding you again. Nothing has changed. If you live like this, you do not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, please pause for a moment and think about this. Because Paul wants us to understand that no one should feel secure in the grace of God if their life does not reflect being changed by that grace. If you are living in any of these areas in impurity, then what he says is that you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Let me ask you a question. If you are not inheriting the kingdom of God, what are you inheriting? Let me explain it to you like this. The scripture says you are storing up for yourself wrath. That's what it says. And so you are either depending on the grace of God, allowing the grace of God to change you, and knowing that I have an inheritance that is there, or I'm doing what? I am storing up for myself. I'm preparing my own inheritance. So here's how it, how it boils down. The bottom line is you can either embrace the inheritance that was purchased for you on the cross, or you can go ahead and sow your own inheritance. You can sow your own inheritance by living in the flesh and living the way that you want to live. The second thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this, say, the evidence of our faith is in the fruit of our lives. The evidence of our faith is in the fruit of our lives. And so he goes on to say in verse 22, he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. And so what he says is this. He says that our lives should be bearing this kind of fruit. And see, the same way that sinning is active, not passive, so bearing fruit is active as well. But here's the thing that I want you to understand, that you and I are incapable of producing the fruit of the Spirit, but we must be available participants in its production. You and I can do nothing to produce love. What can you do to produce love? Nothing. You can't do anything to produce love. You can do a lot of things to hinder it. Hello? <laughs> Listen, let me, let, let, I've, I've done a little bit of marriage counseling in the last, you know, 11, 12 years. And what I can tell you is that I have seen people that have applied biblical principles on what you would say would produce love and did absolutely nothing to their spouse and they ended up getting divorced. And so what I'm saying is that you can't do anything to produce love. You can't do anything to make love. You can't do anything to produce joy. Listen, I'll put it to you like this. If you can do anything to produce any of this, then it's not the fruit of the Spirit. It's your fruit. And so what Paul does is he breaks down this list. He says, look, he says, these are the things that should be evident in your life. And if these things are evident in your life, then there is no law that is against you. Our flesh produces only dead works, but the Spirit of God produces living fruit. And so the fruit of the Spirit that is described here deals with what? It deals with our character. It deals with who we are as people. And, and, and the way that you can break this fruit down is it can be seen as fruit in three distinct areas of our character. And that is Godward fruit, that is manward fruit, and that is selfward fruit. And so the first one is this Godward fruit. So the love, joy, and peace, all of this is the fruit of the Spirit. But the love, joy, and peace, these are things that are produced out of our relationship with God. And so we have this love that is not dependent upon what people do to us or don't do to us, what people do for us or don't do for us, but this love is flowing in our lives because what? It is dependent upon God, not ourselves. 
The same thing with this joy. When he talks about this joy, the joy of the Lord is supposed to be our strength, right? And so what happens is this joy is not dependent upon my surrounding circumstances. It is dependent upon my relationship with God. And so my heart is governed by love. It is governed by joy. It is governed by this peace, which the Bible says surpasses all understanding. And those are things that are about me and my relationship with God. And so all of my heart is governed by those. And then he goes, he says, you know, this love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and goodness. Now, see, that's man word because when I look at patience, you know when patience is seen? It's not seen when I'm all by myself. It's seen when I'm dealing with you. You know, in the morning we're in the music ministry and we're taking a little bit longer to get apart, you know, glory to God, and my patience is often tested, amen? And you can see it all over my face that I'm not so fruitful at that moment. I'm just saying, I'm letting y'all know, I confess my sin to you, pray for me, amen? I'm just, that, that's just how it is. But here's the thing, patience is revealed when? It's in those scenarios, it's when I'm dealing with people, right? And so we have this patience, we have this kindness, me being kind to a people. I can say I'm kind all day long, but deal with someone. I'll let you know how kind you are. Right? Let me see how you interact with people. Let me see how you treat other people. Is that kindness there? Yep, it's there because the fruit of the Spirit is manifesting in your life. Here's the beauty of this. If your heart is governed by love, guess what you're going to be? More patient. If your heart is governed by joy, you're going to be more patient. You're going to be more, you're going to be more kind to people. You're going to be more gentle towards people. Hello, I'm just saying, this is the fruit of the Spirit, right? You're going to be good. You're going to have this goodness toward people, wanting to be a blessing to people. Those things are all demonstrated and are dealing with other people. And then there is this selfward fruit, right? This selfward part, these last three things, what they are is they're supposed to be seen in us. This is who we are. This is not necessarily, this, 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 this is how we will end up dealing with people, but this is part of our being, right? And so we're faithful. That means that in our heart, we're just faithful. We're those kind of people that it don't matter who's watching us. We are just faithful. That is just who we are. That, that, that's something that comes natural. That it doesn't matter who's looking. It doesn't matter who's listening. It doesn't matter who's, who's grading you. What you want to do is what? Is you want to make sure that you are faithful because that is what God has put inside of your heart. Gentle, another thing. That's something that comes. That is inside of our heart. That is the way that we deal. That is the way that we are in, inside. I mean, God has made our hearts that way. And then the last one, which is so important, is self-control. And if you do this, and I didn't do this for you because I'm not going to do all your homework. I'll give you this homework. But if you sit down with this list of fruit, and then you put that list of fruit next to all of these works of the flesh, I guarantee you, you will find the antithesis to each one. And so you will find these works of the flesh, and then you'll find love over here. And I'll just do love for you. If you look at those things of the, of the, of the fornication or, or the sexual immorality and the lewdness and the uncleanness, if your heart is governed by love, guess what? You're not going to give in to the lust. You're not going to give in to that. You're not, you're not going to go that route because my heart is governed by love. I love the conference that they have for the young people that true love waits because it's the truth. Because, oh, I just love you so much we have to do this. No, you don't. Hello? I'm just saying. And so we want to have the right heart. We want to have the right mind. And so as a Christian, now this is why this is so important for us. Because a Christian whose life bears these character traits, albeit imperfectly, can rest in the hope of Jesus working in their lives and bringing to completion the work which he began. And so you know what? When you look at your life, do you have that love, that joy, that peace, that patience, that kindness, that goodness, that faithfulness, that gentleness, that self-control? And you may be like, well, I have like, you know, eight of them or seven of them or one of them I struggle in or, you know, some moments I'm really self-controlled, others I'm not. Listen, I'm not talking about perfection and neither is God. He calls us to be perfect as he is perfect, but he also understands that perfection is a process. And we grow in that. But the question is, am I living in the flesh? Am I living for my carnal desires or am I living for the glory and the honor of Jesus? Because if I am living in the for the glory and honor of Jesus, then this fruit should be coming out in my life. And as this is coming out of my life, I can rest in what? In the hope of the inheritance that I have in Christ Jesus. Verse 23, read this with me. I mean, verse 24. He says here, but those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Say this with me. A secure identity in Christ will create 
total dependence upon the Holy Spirit. A secure identity in Christ will create total dependence upon the Holy Spirit. And so he says here, but those and those who are Christ, remember the question is, to whom do you belong? And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. By faith, we have been crucified with him. If you belong to Jesus, by faith, you have been crucified with him. His sacrifice for sin is applied to us in principle, but you and I must live it out practically. And so what happens is when Jesus died on the cross, he died for what? For our sins. Amen? He died not because he just wanted to die a death of example. He died because we needed a a Savior to die in our place. And so when Jesus dies, he nails our sin to the cross. And the moment that we put faith in Jesus, the moment that we decide that we are going to trust him as Lord and as Savior, his crucifixion is applied to our life. And, And we are crucified with Christ. This is what happens in principle. And what happens to us is that sometimes we get it messed up because we think, well, you know what? I was crucified with him, so I should never have any battle in my flesh again. That's not true. But as we go through this battle, we give into what? We give into the spirit, not the flesh. But the question comes, do I have a firm identity in Christ? Do I believe what the Bible says Jesus did for me? Do I really trust what Jesus said he did? Do I really trust that he really did put all of my sin on the cross or are there some sins that I'm not sure about? Do I really believe that he died not just to save me, not just to deliver me, but also to heal me of whatever hurts have been against me with those who sinned against me? Or do I think that, you know what, he can forgive me, but I don't know how he could forgive them? Do I have this secure identity in him? And then how do I live this out practically? Well, the first thing is this, is that we walk in line with the Holy Spirit. What does he say? He says, and those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And he says this, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. And when you look up that word to walk in the Spirit, it literally means to proceed in a row as the march of a soldier. And so you've seen the way that soldiers march, right? When you you see them in their line, everyone, I mean soldiers, that I mean when when you're in the military, I mean, everything is in line. You know, for those of you that might get here early once in a while, you will notice that my wife, she walks around and she aligns every one of these chairs every day. Every Sunday when she comes in here, she's walking around and she's like, got the measurement. He's like, ah, oh, that's off lines. That's and what she's doing is she is aligning everything because just for her, that is something that really, you know, gets on her. Well, when you're military, guess what? Straight lines. has got to be straight lines everywhere. Wherever you walk, it's got to be straight line. You don't walk out. You know, you're not just walking to, your, to the beat of your own drum. Hello. You are walking in alignment with either the cadence that is being communicated or you're just walking in alignment with the way that you know you're supposed to walk in line. Can I tell you something? As a Christian, you don't walk to the beat of your own drum. As a Christian, you don't make up the rules yourself. As a Christian, you don't pick and choose which commands I'm going to obey. As a Christian, you don't just do things that you want to do. As a Christian, you follow the beat of one drummer, and that drummer is Jesus. You follow the beat of the, of the leading and the direction of the Holy Spirit. You don't just do what you want to do. You follow God's direction. You follow God's guidance in your life. And that way you are doing what? You're walking in the Spirit. That's how you walk in the Spirit. And so we walk in the Spirit by, 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 by following or marching in line as a soldier would. Someone who is trained. Someone who is developed. But we don't just walk in line. But we have to do something else. We have to believe the truth of this new identity that we have. We are trusting and obeying the word of God over our opinions and our emotions and that of other people as well. Hello. We're obeying what? We're obeying what the word of God teaches. We're we're taking everything in light of scripture. We are taking everything through the filter of scripture. Everything that I do is going to be brought through the filter of scripture. I am going to look at what the Bible says because you know what, church? You will be surprised. The Bible says a lot more than we give it credit for. 
The Bible gives us a lot more direction than we give it credit for. And it is up to us to do what? To be diligent. As Paul told Titus, told, he, he, he told him what? He said, he said to be diligent, to show yourself approved, right? One who studies the word of God. One who rightly divides the word of truth. One who is able to do what? One who is able to look at what the word of God says and apply it to his life. And listen to me. When he was talking to him, you know what he was saying? He was not talking about the New Testament that we have. He was talking about the Old Testament. He was saying, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, then you can do what? Then you can look at this word, and the Holy Spirit will show you and teach you how to apply the word of God, how to apply the truth of the scriptures. But we have to be willing to do that. We have to be willing to sit down and hear what the Holy Spirit is communicating to us. And then the last thing that we do in a practical sense is that we deny our flesh by grace. We deny our flesh. We say no to our fleshly desires to say yes to the glory of Jesus. Verse 26 says this, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. We cannot succumb to our natural tendency and the enemy's desire for us to compare ourselves to others, but we must live for the glory of Jesus. Look what he says. He says, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And so he gives us two, two, two total opposites. One of them is to being conceited. The other one is envying people. And in the middle over here, he, say, he, say, he used this word provoking. And what that word provoking means, it means to literally compete with one another. And what happens is when you're not living by grace, you know what you start doing? You start measuring yourself by everyone else in the room. When you're not living by grace, you start measuring your prayer life by the other people that are praying out loud. When you're not living by grace, you start you know, measuring yourself by how well you know scripture or you know, how well you quote this or how well you do that. You start to measure yourself by that. And then one of two things will happen. This is what, 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 what it will be. Either I will become really conceited because I think, yo, I got this down. Those people got a long way to go. That's what he's saying. Don't be conceited. Don't think that because, you know, you got ten of the, you know, nine of the Ten Commandments down, you know, and they only on six, that, you know, you're better than someone. You're not. Because the truth of the matter is that if you really measured it in God's sight, you probably ain't got nine down anyway. Hello. I'm just saying, he didn't die because you had nine down. I'm just, I'm just, I'm keep, let's keep it real. He died because you couldn't get one of them down. I'm just, let's keep it real like that. <laughs> right? So don't be conceited, provoking one another. He said, and then you come to the other place, you start envying people, right? We talked about envy before, that ill will. You're like, man, I don't, I don't even understand. And you, you're, you're no longer jealous of people. You start envying other folks. And that's, what, and that's what the enemy wants us to do. The enemy wants us to compare ourselves to others instead of depending on the grace of God and thanking God for his work inside of our hearts. Amen? So my, my closing question to you is this. Does your life as a whole declare that you belong to Jesus? Does your life as a whole Declare that you belong to Jesus. And let me ask you the follow-up question. In what area is his lordship questionable in your life? Does all of your life declare I'm his? And in what area is it that you're not showing that you're his? Stand to our feet and let's pray together.